We're going to read from the scriptures tonight. We're reading again from the book of Daniel. And I want to read tonight from Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to reread the verses 9 through to 14. And then I'm going to read from verse um, 21 right through to the end. So let's hear the word of God tonight. If you have the Bible with you, turn to Daniel chapter 7. The words will also come up on the screen so you'll be able to follow them. Let's hear the Lord's word. Daniel 7 verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horns spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed, and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one that like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Let's come now to Daniel 7, verse 21. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cognations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me. 
but I kept the matter in my heart. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible word. Now, this evening we are continuing with our series of expository sermons in the book of Daniel. And my text tonight is taken from Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 14. And my theme this evening is Daniel's dream and the coronation of Christ. Now, when you read through Daniel chapter 7, I want you to think about Daniel's dream or Daniel's vision. And I want you to ask yourself, what is it all about? You see, in the night upon his dead, Daniel beheld the four winds of heaven striving upon the waters of the great sea. And you can read about that in verse 2. Now, the great sea is a reference to the Mediterranean. Remember, there's four great seas in the Bible. Someone has said that you could go on four great sea tours. Think of the sea where a multitude was fed, and that is the Sea of Galilee, where the Lord Jesus fed 5,000 men besides women and children with two loaves and a few fishes. And then think of the sea where a multitude was led, and that's a reference to the Red Sea, and that's at the time of the Exodus when the children of Israel were brought out of the house of Egyptian bondage and slavery by the blood of the Lamb and led by an 80-year-old man called Moses. And then think of a sea where there's a multitude of things that are dead. And that's a reference to the Dead Sea in the land of Israel that's 13 feet below sea level. And I have been there on a number of occasions. And there's no life in that sea. And you couldn't drink its water for it's full of minerals and full of salt. Everything in it is dead. And then, of course, you've got the Sea of the Med. And the Sea of the Med, known as the Great Sea or the Mediterranean, is really the center of the earth. It's really that part that we look to as the Middle East. And the Sea of the Med has the land of Israel as its western border. You think of the coast of the Great Sea, the Mediterranean. And not only does it form the western border of the coast of the land of Israel, but it's really a reference in the Bible to the prophetic earth. As far as this great sea is concerned, this is the area where there's a key to unfolding of the great events of the end time age. You see, that sea, the middle of the earth sea, the Mediterranean, it represents a multitude of people that make up the earth of the Gentile nations. So when you're thinking about the prophetic earth, you keep your eye in the Middle East. Keep your eye on what's happening in around the uh, countries that make up the uh, uh, borders of the uh, Great Sea. Don't look to the United States of America. Certainly don't look to the United Kingdom. Don't look to China. Don't look to Australia. Uh, Daniel's dream centered on the activity of the Great Sea. But Daniel's dream was also about the symbolism of four wild beasts that came up out of the sea. And the last beast was unnamed. The last beast was more fierce and violent than the other three. So here you've got four great beasts. And these four great beasts, remember, represent the four great Gentile emperors. You've got a lion, you've got a bear, you've got a leper, and you have the last one that's unidentified. 
And as we have said, the fourth one is unlike any of the others that have come before. And we don't have to guess and speculate or use conjecture as to the meaning of these four beasts. For we're told in Daniel 7 verse 17, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. And these four kings will exercise dominion and power over four kingdoms. And that's the Babylonian kingdom, the Median Persian kingdom, the Grecian Empire, and the Roman Empire. And of course, it must be very important because this was already given in chapter 2 through Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And now God is repeating it in chapter 7 to Daniel. He's adding in a few more details. And what is really being explained in chapter 7 to Daniel is how this power, these kings use their rule and power and authority in their kingdom. So you think if I was to give someone a million pounds, and if I had that ability, and then later on I was to instruct that person that I gave the million pound to, pound to how they were to use that million pounds. And, and that's the thought here. Um, this is a repetition. Uh, details in chapter 2 are re-given in chapter 7 using different imagery. But, but the imagery explains to us how the power is actually exercised uh, by these kings in their emperors. These kings were to use and exercise their power um, before God. And of course, the last beast, he was the worst of the four. And wasn't the Roman emperor uh, the worst of all? Noted for its iniquity, its immorality, its violence, its hatred, its brutality, its idolatry, its homosexuality, its bestiality, and uh, known for its, its apostasy. And of course, it was during the reign of the Roman emperor uh, that the uh, crucifixion of the Lord Jesus took place. You think of Nero on the throne and the church persecutions that arose as a result of that. Think of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem by Titus in AD 70. And Daniel has an interest in the fourth beast. Look at chapter 7, verse 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and the nails of us, and his nails of brass, which devoured, breaking pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. Daniel wanted to know the truth about the fourth beast. He wanted to know what these details meant, how significant this fourth beast really was. Daniel's vision was not only about the sea and about the symbolism of these wild beasts, but Daniel's vision was about the saints. If you look carefully through Daniel chapter 7, you will notice that the saints is mentioned. It's mentioned in verse 18. It says, but the saints of the Most High. It's mentioned in verse 21. I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints. It's mentioned in verse 22. It says, And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. It's mentioned in verse 25. It says there, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. You should underline that verse. Think of verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting 
kingdom. So Daniel's vision was also about the saints. And here's a reference to the persecution of the Lord's people, especially at the hands of the little horn. And the little horn, as we discovered last week, was a reference to Antichrist. So here's prior to Christ's return, an intensification of persecution uh, towards the people of God. And that persecution is going to be severe, it's going to be brutal, it's going to increase. In fact, if you read verse 21, it says, I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Verse 25, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. We live in dark days. Dark days for the church of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you a darker day is coming. There's a spiritual winter that's coming for the church. Now the winter is here, but the winter will intensify and get more severe. And laws will be passed against the people of God and against the church of Jesus Christ by Antichrist and those that serve under him. He will have the power to change times and laws. And it may come where you're not even able to trade in society. You, you certainly will not be able to buy or sell without his mark or without his number. People could lose their job, maybe even their homes. There could be loss of lives and loss of reputation. And, and this will last for, for a period of time. Remember what we read there in the scriptures. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of times. And that's three and a half years according to the number of the commentators. See, I believe tonight that the church of Jesus Christ will go through the great tribulation. I believe that tribulation will be awful and terrible for the people of God. I, I certainly don't believe in a secret silent rapture. And why I don't believe that is, if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, there's nothing silent about that chapter. You've got the voice of the archangel. You, you've, you've got the shout. You, you've got the trumpet of God. Doesn't 1 Corinthians 15 uh, talk about the last trumpet? Uh, and you correspond that with the book of Revelation. Read chapters through through to 11 when the trumpets are sounded and during that period it will feel like the Lord has forgotten us that the Lord has abandoned us we'll be asking what on earth is the Lord's doing but remember he hasn't remember he's in absolute sovereign control remember he's in control of time and control of events control of history and he certainly hasn't abandoned his people remember what we read in the book of Isaiah Isaiah 43 and verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Isn't that tremendous? Whenever the plagues of Egypt were taking place, the children of Israel had to go through that. Whenever there was a drought in the days of Elijah for three and a half years, he had to go through that. And all that time we could pray and they could pray, keep us as the apple of thine eye. Doesn't the Bible teach that there'll be those that are alive and remain upon the earth when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in power and glory? So here's a vision about the sea, the Mediterranean. Here's a vision that's symbolized in four wild beasts, the fourth being the most fierce and terrorsome of all. 
He, 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 here, here's a vision about the saints suffering persecution at the little horn that is to arise out of the ten-horned kingdom that's to be formed as part of the newly formed Roman Empire. But there's also a vision here about the Savior. And that's what we want to think about tonight. Because Daniel's vision is not only about the sea and the symbolism of four wild beasts, the fourth being the worst, and ten horns arising out of that kingdom, and a little horn arising to subdue three of those horns, and, 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 and that little horn making war with the saints of God. But this vision is also about the Savior. You see, when I read through this, I see Christ here. I prayed that I might see the Lord Jesus in the book of Daniel. And I see him clearly, for there's much of Christ in this chapter. Whenever he returns in power and glory, the little horn, the Antichrist, will be utterly destroyed and eternally judged. You can read about that in verse 11, Daniel 7, 11, Daniel 7, 22. Daniel 7, 26. We can link it up with the words in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 8. Remember what we read there? And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy him with the brightness of his coming. When Jesus Christ returns in power and glory, he'll bring an end to the little horn. The, the Antichrist, who's a real man, who strikes fear and terror into the hearts and minds of the people of God. Upon the Lord's return to this earth in power and glory, Antichrist will be destroyed. And so will everyone else who knows not God and obeys not the gospel. Listen to Daniel 7 verse 11. It says there, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the little horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And of course, how does that come about? And the answer is on the basis of the person and the work of Christ. I want you to think of three things this evening from our uh, consideration of Daniel's vision as a vision of the coronation of the Savior. Think of the description of the sovereign here. You've got a mention of his throne if you look very carefully in verse 9, it says his throne was like the fiery flame. There's a throne here. He says in verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit. See, three times God the Father is called the ancient of days. In verse 9, verse 13, and verse 22. And three is the number of complete witness. The Bible talks about in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall be a thing established. And here's God the Father, the uh, first person, we could really say, of the Holy Trinity. And he's called here, he's given this wonderful title as the Ancient of Days. And in this night vision, Daniel is first given a vision of a throne in heaven upon which the ancient of days did sit. And perhaps this is in response to Daniel's prayer that he saw the throne of God occupied. It says, I beheld till thrones were cast down. What does that mean? It's a reference to man's empires. The Babylonian has come and gone. The Grecian empire has come and gone. The Medo-Persian 
The Roman Empire has come and gone, although it will be revived with ten horns. It's a reference to human government, princes and kings. Do you know that one day the Westminster Parliament and every politician linked to it will give an account to the Lord? The Bible says that every one of us shall give an account of himself to the Lord. You, you think of this, all the bad laws that they have passed, the blasphemy laws, the abortion law with nine million little babies have been murdered. You, you think of the law that legalizes uh, homosexuality. You think of the law that has changed the definition of biblical marriage between one man and one woman. There's coming a day when the government of Westminster will be judged and judged on the basis of true righteousness and biblical godliness. See, where is the Lord tonight? The Lord's on the throne. The throne of heaven is occupied. He's in absolute sovereign control. And not only them in that day, but in that day, the little horn, Antichrist, will be judged. So will the false prophet. And so will the devil, who's the prince and power of the air. And they'll be cast into the bottomless pit. Here's his throne. Think of his title. Ancient of Days. It's a wonderful title. It speaks of his eternality. One without beginning. And one without days. Think of his purity. It says. Whose garment was white as snow. See it's a symbol of his true righteousness and holiness. He hates sin. He can't look on sin. He's of pure eyes and behold iniquity. I want you to think of his majesty. The hair of his head. As pure will. Or, or like pure will. Think of his authority. It, it says here, and his wheels as burning flame. Think of his activity here. He's in absolute control. He, he controls time and events and, and world history. You know, many tonight feel as if God is dead. There was times when Martin Luther and the great Protestant Reformation felt that God was dead. And on one occasion, he was so depressed and so in despair that Katie, his wife, came down the stairs dressed in a black dress. And he asked her, who's dead? And she says, God's dead. And he says, woman, don't be sarcastic or don't be silly. And she said, nobody must be for you have such a long face and you're in despair. You see, the saints of God can approach the throne. We can talk to the Almighty. We can rejoice in his eternality. We can rejoice in his purity. We can rejoice in his majesty. We can rejoice in his authority. We can rejoice in his activity. There's a wonderful team here. Thousands upon thousands ministered unto him. Tens of thousands by ten thousands stood before him. An innumerable host. A great company of angels. There's a wonderful truth here. And what does it say in the text? It tells us something. It says, A great stream issued and came forth from before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. See, the judgment's fixed. The, the doom of the little horn, the doom of the false prophet, the, the doom of the devil is set, and the destiny is sealed, and the books were opened. We're familiar with the keeping of books and records that are reliable and accurate. You think of every detail of our lives in those books, the beginning of life, the end of life, and all the in-betweens of life. 
And if you're saved tonight listening to me, then you can thank the Lord. You can rejoice. You, you can be sure of heaven and home. You, you, you can be satisfied with all that's been revealed in Christ. But I want to tell you tonight, if you're not saved, and you're not sure of heaven and home, and you're not satisfied because you know nothing of Christ, then you need to fear. You, you need to beware. Remember what the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians? It says this in 2 Thessalonians, rather, in chapter 1, that says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. There's the description of the sovereign tonight. His throne, his title, the team before him, and the truth that's being revealed, and the judgment was set, and the books were opened. But also think of the declaration of the Son. You see, when I read Daniel 7 very carefully, I discover something about Christ. I discover his glorious ascension. You see this judgment that was set? What's the basis of this judgment that was set? And the answer is the personal work of Christ. You see, we've been thinking here of God's throne of heavenly judgment. And on what basis does he judge? The basis for his real true judgment is the revelation of Christ in his suffering and death. As a result of Christ's redemptive work. You see, it's on the basis of his first coming into the world. It's on the basis of his sinless life and atoning death. And his exaltation to God the Father's right hand. If you look at the scripture very carefully, it says in verse 13, I saw in the night visions and beheld one like the Son of Man come with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now, I believe this is a reference to his first coming, not his second coming. He came with the clouds of heaven. Who did he come to? He came to the Ancient of Days, and a company of them bring him near. I believe this is a reference to Christ's glorious ascension. I believe it's a reference to his first coming. He's not coming down from heaven. Uh, to be with his people. He is going up to heaven. He came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days. Do, do you see that there? It's a reference to Christ as the Son of Man going up to heaven and being brought before the ancient of days in the throne. It's the day that the Son of Man has been presented to the Father. And sure, it links in to the story it's told of him and ascension in the book of Acts in Acts 1 and 9 and when he had spoken these things while they beheld he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight that was a cloud of glory not the atmospheric clouds but a cloud of glory and remember what we read over there in the book of Psalms in Psalm 24 we read a very interesting thing about Jesus Christ after his death and resurrection we read, lift up your heads, O ye gates, verse 7, 
And they lift up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. This is the Lord returning in power and victory to heaven. And we also want to link it up with the words in Psalm 110 and in the very first words. And we read here about um, God the Father addressing God the Son, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This text is quoted seven times. There's seven references in the book. God the Father speaking to God the Son. And when did that take place? Well, it took place whenever God the Son was returning to heaven on a cloud received him out of the sight of the disciples, as I've said, a, a cloud of glory. And he's presented to the Father in the basis of his finished work. It's a reference to his glorious ascension when he's brought back to heaven and ascended up after the victory of the cross. He's been victorious over sin, over grave, over the devil, over death. Here's the victory of his bodily resurrection. And, 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 and as a reward, he's given the right to execute judgment upon the earth. Turn over there to the book of Philippians. Let, let's read together Philippians chapter 2. And remember what we read there in Philippians chapter 2. The verses 5 right through to 7. And we read there some marvelous truths about the Lord Jesus. This is what says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look at verse 9. Wherefore, in light of this, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That, and that word that's a demonstrative, at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he's exalted to heaven, he's been given the right and authority to judge the world. And, and that's the context of Psalm 110 verse 1. You, you think of those that bow the knee to Christ. You think of those that confess Christ, Jesus as Lord. You see, it's all the basis of his exaltation to glory. The Lord Jesus Christ, even though he's the eternal son of the everlasting father, even though he is God in the flesh, he couldn't administer judgment until first of all he'd been returned to heaven and exalted there as King of kings and Lord of lords. Think not only of his glorious ascension, but his gracious approach. We read there in the text, if you look at it very carefully, and came to the ancient of days. He came near before the ancient of days. When did that happen? I put it to you, it happened after his death and resurrection. You, you think of the ascended Christ, 
approaching the Father on the basis of the work of redemption, on the basis of his blood sacrifice, with the evidence in his hands, with, with the wounds in his hands and his feet, his side, the, the crown of thorns that adorned his brow, uh, the, the thorns that have pierced his brow, and on the basis of his own blood, he's entered into heaven. And we read in chapter 7 and verse 14, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. See, Christ was crowned. Christ was invested with the right to exercise judgment in the world. There was given to him this judgment via a coronation. You think of him being brought before the Father on the basis of the blood sacrifice. After the victory of his resurrection, the tomb is empty and he's crowned with glory and power and honor. He's a king by right. He is a king to bear rule. But he can't bear that rule until after the work of redemption has been complete. He is king of kings now. He has the right to rule now. He has the right to rule in power and glory to this very day. He is the one that's led captivity captive. He's the one that's defeated sin, the grave, and the devil. He has a right to administer judgment to the world. Turn over there to the Gospel of John. Look with me at chapter 5. These are interesting words. You should underline them in your Bible. John chapter 5. Look at verse 26. Look with me at verse 27. John 5, 26 and verse 27. It says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. Now link up verse 27, John 5, with what we read in Daniel. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man come with the clouds of heaven. You should link that up, because that is very, very important. The Son of God is a reference to his deity. The Son of Man is a reference to his humanity. And you've got to think of the, the marvelous aspect of the personal work of Christ. And Daniel sees this. And he sees the Son of Man invested with authority because of who he is. And he sees him uh, given by uh, divine appointment this, this right to rule because of his finished work. He sees the judgment was given to him. Not only his glorious ascension and gracious approach, but think of his great authority. He's placed in the throne. He sits at God the Father's right hand. He has the right to bear rule now. He has the right to reign over the nations. He has given a kingdom. It's a universal kingdom. It's a kingdom of all peoples and nations and powers and languages. It's a powerful kingdom. It's an actual kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. It's not going to pass away. There's no end. It'll never be destroyed. Jesus Christ always has been king of heaven. It's his by right. He had the right to sit in the throne. But because of who he is, he's now invested as the son of man with the right to rule and right to administer judgment on the nations. Administer judgment on all who die in their sins. Administer judgment upon the little horn, the Antichrist. Administer judgment to all the other seven horns. Administer judgment even in the spirit of Antichrist that's already in the world that we spoke about last Lord's Day evening. So, so there is here, when you think about it, 
a, a, a message about Christ. And the message is the declaration of the Son. You think in closing tonight of the demonstration of a sentence. You see, there's a, a fearful aspect to this judgment. Why? Because of who the judge is. This judge is awesome. He's to be feared. I want you to think of the majesty of the judge. He's the one who's advanced in days. Think of this title, the Ancient of Days. Think of this reference, the Most High God. You think of the veneration that there is and ought to be of God. How awesome God is. How majestic God is. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be in the presence of a man of God. Remember the Shunammite woman that we thought about this morning? She thought about Elisha as a man of God that passed by her house continually and offered him bread and then provided a little lodging for him. I remember uh, meeting one of the elders out of the martyrs for the first time many, many years ago, a, a man called the late John Compton. And I knew the day that I met John Compton that I was in the presence of a man of God, a man who loved the Lord, a man who knew the book, a, a man who could speak a word in season, a man who could pray and touch heaven. And of course, you get a man of God like that, and there's a reverence, and there's a respect for that man by the Lord's people. I, I'm glad that I'm able to say I knew a, a man of God in the life and times of the late Dr. Ian R. K. Paisley. And there wasn't there a presence about him? Wasn't there a persona about him? So, so let's lift that up. If we can be in the presence of man of God and we become affected and, and, and respect that man, then, then let's think of how majestic and awesome it is to be ushered into the very presence of God. The fearfulness of the judge. Think not only of his majesty, but think of his authority. He sits in a throne, and all the thrones of men will fall before his throne. And here's in Daniel being shown a glimpse of the end of all things. Daniel's transported, as it were, and he sees the throne of heaven occupied. He sees the throne of men's cast down, and he's thinking about the greatness of his God. And it's beyond his heart and mind to fully grasp and understand this. God sits in holiness. God sits in absolute power. God sits with the right to rule. Think of his integrity. He's got white garments. Think of his purity. His head's as pure as wool. Think of his veracity. The books are opened. And all life is judged according to the things that are written in the book. Moment by moment. No cover-up. No concealment. Nothing spared. Everything open and naked before the eyes of him we whom we have to do. You see, there's a fearfulness of this judgment. But I want you to think in closing, there's a finality of this judgment. Here's this fourth kingdom. It's fierce. It's bloodthirsty. This fourth kingdom that's unnamed and unidentified, but it's a very influential power to the end of the world. We can think about the Roman emperor and the empire in the first century. And we can think of its influence stretching right up to now. And we can think of the formation of these ten kings that will be a revising of the old Roman Empire and the little horn that will arise out of them and uh, subdue three of them. We'll make war with the saints of God. And that stretches right back to the very first century to now. Back to the day when Jesus Christ was born. And stretches forward 
to 2,000 years. And this ten-horned kingdom will soon to be revealed and another little horn rising out of it. And the Lord has heard all their words. And the Lord has seen all their works. And the Lord has seen all the wrongs that they've done. And all has been heard and recorded in heaven. And God is a note of them. And they'll be sentenced at the last day. And they'll be slain in that last day. And they'll be sent in that last day. Depart from me, ye cursed. All ye that work iniquity and the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But what about you tonight? You're listening to me as we finish. Do you know who God is? Have you thought about what he's like? Have you thought about standing before him and meeting God? You see, let's not adopt the attitude. When I meet God, I'll tell him a thing or two. I'll tell him what he did wrong. And I'll say this to him and I'll say that. You'll say nothing to God. You'll be absolutely silent. And in that day, if you stand in your sins, you'll be sentenced like all the rest. And you'll hear those fearful words, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Remember the Lord Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot be. He said it three times. So I, I say to you tonight, there's two ways to die. You can die in Christ, or you could die without Christ. But in that day, there'll be the description of the sovereign. And in that day, there'll be the declaration of the Son. You'll understand his ascension. You'll understand his approach. You'll understand his authority at God's right hand. And you'll see the demonstration of his sentence. It'll be fearful. But I tell you, it'll be final. And even the kingdoms of men will be brought down. And his kingdom will be an everlasting universal, powerful, actual kingdom given to his saints and he'll bear rule forever and ever. I commend this message to you now. I pray that you'll see what Daniel saw, not only the sea and the symbolism here, the four creatures, and not only the saints and the war that goes on on earth, but get your eyes in the Savior and may you see him whom the Noah's life everlasting. Thank you for listening tonight. Thank you for joining with us again. May the Lord bless you and help you. And if you don't know Christ as Savior, then we urge you to repent and get right with God and come to a knowledge of him.